this time I invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. This will be a sermon that draws from two ideas from the Elijah story and other places in Scripture. But I will read this short passage, verses 9 through 12, as Elijah encounters the Lord. Then Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and I seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire was the sound of a low whisper. This is God's word. What might you consider a threat to national security? A few years ago, a three-star general, which is a pretty high rank, gave a talk about a rising threat to national security. He says one of the rising threats to national security is childhood obesity. Now, what do you make about that? Well, think about it. Recruits have to make a certain weight to be able to enlist, and it it narrows down the pool of applicants. Um, And and even those who are overweight and are able to uh, reduce their weight once they get to basic training, they're they're more likely to incur certain injuries and and different being out of shape, it's going to take their toll. And the general said, what we are seeing across our nation in general is a lower level of physical maturity where we have heavier, less active, just less coordinated young people, which means that it's going to take more work for the Army to transform them into a fighting force. And the Army is actually taking steps, kind of a warrior-athlete type of idea. So why do I mention that? Well, there's there's actually a a correlation here between a loss of skills and abilities in the military and discipleship as a Christian. Now, last time in the evening, two weeks ago, we talked about that simple but beautiful truth of discipleship, that Jesus calls you. It's a wonderful call. Um, but when he does that, he transforms you and he molds you into his apprentice. It's a, it's a whole person effect, right? You can't just uh, learn you're also doing you can no longer more be a soldier by watching a documentary on basic training, right, than you can by just being a disciple, by just listening and learning it also involves doing. Well, here's what we're going to talk about tonight. This is going to be very focused. But we're going to look at how the busyness and clutter in your mind can be a threat to discipleship and the church's vitality. And here's what I mean. You and I have this ever-increasing smorgasbord of uh, noise and distractions from, from the notifications on your devices to all that could mean from, from uh, social media to text, your phone, news updates to the endless uh, entertainment, the great content, the, the on, just unfathomable media available to you almost for free or for free. And, of course, nothing's wrong with this in principle. 
But the way that we can use them can become a form of mental obesity. And if all we ever do is, is consume products that are designed to be easy to digest, we actually, maybe like the standard American diet where we, we, uh, we just consume easy calories, um, not much fiber, not much nutrition, we eat more, um, we may actually lose the ability to be soldiers of Christ. And so as, as followers of Jesus, you might think, well, this is, this is you know, a problem for everyone. But think about this as Christians. To the degree that you happen to lose your ability to focus, uh, to be quiet, to think deeply on your own, we lose the ability to contemplate who God is and his majesty and mystery as creator, as trinity in the incarnation and the glories of the cross and the resurrection. Going back to the analogy, just like overly recruits will find it hard to be soldiers, we will find that if we cannot stop and be silent before God, we won't be able to easily meditate on His goodness or grow in our love towards Him. So where does Elijah come in with this idea? Well, the sermon came to me in two passages. And the first was, uh, an offhand comment I made way back, I think before COVID, when we were still in the sanctuary, about Elijah being in the wilderness during the three-year drought in the brook of Kidron. And the Lord takes him, and he's three years being fed by the ravens in the brook. And it's a time of preparation that God used to form Elijah. And he's out there, he's, he's uh, communicating with God, he's communing them. And I said, imagine what would have happened if, I, if Elijah had an iPhone while he was out there. Right? Instead of meditating on God and his revelations, he, he may have been trolling Ahab on Twitter. Um, he, he may have been checking up on Canaanite cricket. That's a sports reference for outside, right? Um, outside here. He might have been checking out that new leather sandal pattern on Pinterest. Right? Um, there would have been, not necessarily wrong, but a challenge to him in his focus on the Lord. And I wondered, could we spend three years meditating with Elijah? And the second passage is here, where I read that God appears to Elijah not in the impressive forces of nature, but in a quiet whisper. Now, there are some times when God does get our attention and hits us with a, a Mack truck or a flash of light, ask Paul of Tarsus, right? But most of the time, God speaks to us and desires us that we humble ourselves and be quiet before him. This, this discipline of stillness and silence is something we must cultivate to meditate on the Lord. So this is not so much a sermon on biblical meditation, but how you can prepare for it. What I want us to look at is just quickly, what is meditation? Um, what are the unique challenges us to silence, uh, to our silence before the Lord? And then what are ways that we can cultivate stillness and silence? So what is meditation? Well, first of all, what it isn't. Um, if you're familiar with the author Ed Clowney, he was, a, he was a former professor and president at Westminster way back in the time. Some of you remember the Beatles. I actually don't. I was. That was before my time. But some of you do, right? Um, and, but they brought, they brought TM, right? Transcendental Meditation Over. It was the big thing from the East. And, and they made it popular. And Ed Clowney actually wrote this little book called Christian Meditation. And it was a critique of that. And, and he, he says, well, here's what Christian meditation is not. It's, it's not this idea where you try to get some kind of 
inner awareness where it's just this pure awareness where you're, you're constantly speaking some syllable to actually block out any thoughts that you can be caught up into the divine. You're just, you're just pure awareness. You're actually reaching up to touch Godhood. That's, that's what transcendental, that's what some of the Eastern meditation is about. And Clowney actually says this is the exact opposite of Christian fellowship with the living God. It's not the experience of knowing God, but the delusion of becoming God. So some forms of Eastern meditation are simply trying to reach yourself up to the God that is in everything and experience that and become that. Well, that's certainly not what Christian meditation is. But what what it is, is it is focusing our hearts and minds on the personal creator and God of this world and to know him his goodness. I think, uh, to quickly define it, Ed Clowney says, there's just three parts of Christian meditation. Just the first is truth, right? As the psalmist meditates on truth, we are focused on truth, which leads to love and adoration, which finally leads to praise. And you would say obedience, right? And, and Ed Clowney says that the supreme glory of Christian meditation is not being lifted up in experience, but lifting up the name of God in spiritual worship. And so our whole focus as we come to meditate is, is to grab onto some truth of who God is, experience his love and glory in some way, and as we hang on to that and, and, and bask in that love, it is going to emanate in praise, which then I would also say leads to changed lives and actions. That's, that's the pattern and cycle of, of Christian meditation. So that's what it is. But there's a challenge. Meditating in a noisy room. How many of you ever had tried to do something really serious? Like maybe you were trying to do triple integrals. Uh, or, or, or maybe you're trying to write poetry. Or maybe you're drafting uh, a report that you found difficult. And you were doing it in a crowsy, noisy room. Let's just, let's just go pre-COVID, kid. Chuck E. Cheese's, right? You're trying to do your hardest homework in Chuck E. Cheese's, and you've got the bouncies, and I know the balls are out loud now. They're, even pre-COVID, that was really like just not good. And, but you got the arcades, and you got the music, and you got the flashing. How easy is it to do that? It's pretty hard, right? Well, what happens, though, if that noisy room is your mind? How can you do it then? Right? That, what, what, what happens if all that flashing is going and all in your mind? And here's the challenge today. Um, I said in the beginning that you, we all know too well, we're, we're surrounded by all kinds of noise and distractions. But as I was reading a, a book called An Analog Church, Why We Need Real People in a Digital Age, an author spent some time on how we are being affected as a community meditating on the word by our current technology. It doesn't make it bad necessarily, but we need to know how it's shaping us. And I'm going to read some sections because it was enlightening to me as, as I try to carve out quiet before the Lord. So here's, here's what this author uh, writes, and he starts by quoting a guy named Tristan Harris. He's, he's a co-founder of an organization called the Center for Humane Technology, whose mission is to realign technology with humans' best interests. Before his work, Harris worked as a design ethicist at Google. In 2016, he wrote an eye-opening article that laid out the calculated intentionality with which tech companies were designing applications to mimic the psychological effects of casino slot machines. Slot machines are built on a psychological dynamic called intermittent variable rewards. 
which basically rewards a participant by, you know, you, you execute it a few times and something comes and so you keep doing it to see what comes, right? The more times we pull the lever, the more times we think we'll be rewarded. So the casino basically preys on human desire to perform an action and gets you to keep putting money in because you pull the lever and something's going to come out, right? So why does this matter for our technology? Well, this is what Kim says. When we pull our phone out of our pocket, we're playing a slot machine to see what notifications we get. When we pull the refresh on our email, we're playing a slot machine to see what new email we get. When we swipe our finger to scroll the Instagram feed, we're playing a slot machine to see what photo comes next. When we tap the number of red notifications, we're playing a slot machine to see what's underneath. Subtly and dangerously, our digital proclivities are transforming many of us into the sort of people who pull the lever and refresh the page for no other concrete reason than to feel the pleasure of the repeat, to experience the security of the loop. And he says, in doing so, we are being changed quite literally on a neurological level into people who cannot stand to sink deeply and thoughtfully into anything that isn't as immediate as pulling the lever. Now, distraction is not a present-only issue. Throughout the ages, Christians have battled distraction. So if you're sitting here right now and saying, well, I don't own a cell phone, I think you can still identify with the problem of, not, of a noisy mind before the Lord. But what I do want you, as Christians, if, if you're using the good gifts of technology, we, we should understand how they are wired and how the responses that they're even programmed to get from us. So for those of you who, you're on your computer, uh, you're, you're on your device, have you ever noticed where you, you just, you know, you just reach for it and you pull it up just to see if there's anything new, even though you have no good reason to look at your phone? Uh, for me, that's usually when I'm when I'm tired or bored, right? Or yeah, you know, I just I'll just go from my my sermon writing tab. This is getting a little difficult. I'll just click to my email tab and just see if something would something just please come in so I can look at it for a little bit and be relieved from the difficulty of writing that next sentence, right? I want us to consider as followers of Jesus Christ how the current world is shaping us. Dare I even say? discipling us, right? Are, are there ways in a, that our wonderful technology has not, is no longer our servant, but has become the master? Something that controls us, something that shapes us, is, is now our idol, and we can become what we worship. So blazing fast speed, limitless options, incredible resources are a wonderful gift, unless... They rewire your heart and mind so that you can't sit before God's word slowly and go from all of those great options in which we can dabble and, and focus and limit ourselves to delve into the one who is a soul of perfection and to be able to sit and adore and soak in. And if we cannot be still and silent, then we lose our ability, at least in part, to enjoy our God. So how do we apply this? We want to cultivate stillness and silence so that you can meditate. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, we need to remember our love for the Lord, that which draws us there in the first place. 
you know, some of what a lot of what I'm saying here is is simply wisdom about how the world is, but that affects how we live out our lives. I want us to hear first what's driving us. It's our love for the Lord. The quote, a quote I love is the the worth of a soul is judged by the excellency of its love, right? Your, your character and who you are, your, your value is judged by, by what you love. And if what you love is the Lord, then that is going to be what's going to help us have a reason and purpose for carving out, developing the ability to have a mind that can be still and silent and, and search for him before him. Think about what, what we said, read in Second, or in Hebrews 12, our, our Jesus is our older brother. He's our, he's our high priest. He's the kingly second Adam. He's the center of the spirit. He's the image of the Father. He's the one that we want to soak in and adore. And he's the reason why, if nothing else, in a world that's saying faster is better, that we should say, well, in some ways, we need to stop and slow down. And honestly, any, any habit that, that we start that might help train our character has to be driven by our love for the Lord and what he's done for us. And that we want to get to know him. As Jesus says in John 17:3, this is eternal life. They know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This desire for intimate relationship which helps us set guards and block off other things which might cut out the ability to enjoy our Lord. Well, once you do that, and when we acknowledge our love and, and reaffirm our love, what, what, what should we do? Well, I, I think acknowledge just the place where we have in technology right now, and, and thank God for the good uses. We just last yesterday went up and down from North Jersey to visit Elizabeth's sister and, and brother-in-law, and you know, it was over 100 miles each way, and just realized you know, 80, I don't know, even 50 years ago, I don't know if that would have would have been a lot harder to do with just cars where I didn't think about checking the oil. We just go and come back. It's wonderful. It allows us to experience the beautiful family. We enjoyed it so much. But also, your lives around out the quiet spaces. Where are you vulnerable to, to the ability to be silent and, and still? Person like doing the least in school, writing. I had three sentences a day. All kinds of reasons. This is before did, you know, before all the stuff. I would find a reason to get up. Andrew, I'm going to find the next time you get up, right? I'm I am that person. I know. Where, okay, this is this is this is a challenge. This is drawing me away. In fact, understanding the way our architecture of our devices in terms of gambling was eye-opening to me because I realized, oh, I'm falling right into, sometimes, these, these activities. So you might ask yourself, where is the constant stream of stimulation or over-dependence that might crowd out your ability to be silent before the Lord? And then say, okay, wh- wh- where can I develop silent spaces? And everyone's so different in your temperament and, and your schedule and whether you're single or your family that you're going to have to decide that for yourself. But some sort of Sabbath, not just necessarily from technological distractions, maybe from all distractions or distractions that are particularly difficult for you. But perhaps you know, periods of the day, especially in the morning, 
there's depressing a number of surveys that talk about you know, over 50% of Christians tend to check their email on their phone before they spend time with the Lord. And that's not usually me, but I, I know I'm guilty of that sometimes, falling into something. Can you set apart a time where you say, before this, I'm not going to let any distractions, whether it's on my phone or whether I'm going to get into the, 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 the rhythm of the day and start doing dishes and just getting on where, no, first I'm going to set this silent time to seek the Lord. It could be dinner. For me, something that I'm doing right now is, is, is thinking about before bed. I, I, two weeks ago, I said one of the disciplines that I need to start again is uh, Bible memory. And I used to use a uh, Bible memory app. It used to be called Scripture Typer. Now it's, I think, it's just Bible memory app. Uh, highly recommend it if you want to memorize Scripture on a device. But I just realized I, I have so much screen time in my work, and I, I would rather just go back to physical. It's not working for me right now. And so um, instead of listening to some podcasts at night when I, I stretch out um, just to kind of relax, and my bothers me sometimes, so I just kind of keep it loose, listening to the hot podcasts or some YouTube content, usually good stuff, I said, what if I replace that with going through a couple flashcards and, and letting that truth sink in where the last thing of the day is, is a bit of a silent space where I'm allowing the Lord to speak to me. For me, that's a way that, that I am going to be making an attempt to block off um, silence and, and make a carve out a spot for us there, for me. Second of all, Focus spiritually. And write down thoughts for later, perhaps. I don't know about you, but in the morning, one of the things that uh, I do is when I sit up and pray and get down, for some reason, my mind seems to go into overdrive. It's like that all the thoughts from the past day just seem to push themselves right into my time to pray. And it could be the attacks of Satan, or it could just be that I haven't had a chance to process my thoughts. But one of the things that I've just found helpful is that when I go to um, pray, I take a piece of paper with me. And if I have a thought that's recurring, I write it down and I deal with it once I'm done. And that's, that's very helpful for me. It could be, I would suggest that if, if you're reading, you could consider reading or praying out loud. There is something about engaging a different part of your body and your senses in which you will slow down and you will be able to interact better with Scripture. Uh, many Christians, well-known Martin Luther famously, and also John Owen said, praying out loud is often a very valuable way to engage the Lord. It's, it kind of gets you out of what could be a mental slumber or trailing off. You could do something what I'm doing right now. You could, you could if it's helpful, I've found it helpful sometimes, to walk or to pace around. There are times... When I am a little agitated or I'm on my mind, just being able to move around helps me to create that silent space. Or you could journal your thoughts and your prayers to the Lord. Have trouble focusing. You, you can try writing your thoughts down, making it a prayer to the Lord. Writing can help you to focus and, and also focus forces you to just think about what you're doing. Finally, I'm going to say something that could be considered controversial, so let me just put it out there. Learn to relax your body. Now, when you think of meditation, 
we have different you know, different thoughts come up with meditation. I just mentioned two: the, the meditation of the Christian, where we take truth and it becomes love and it becomes praise, or some some kind of Eastern meditation where you're you're, you're meditating and and you're blocking thoughts out and and you, know, you think of uh, maybe a yogi or something like that. But there is actually something else when. Today, when we talk meditation, actually, sometimes there's, there are some, some, un, some unhelpful hidden Eastern roots, but sometimes they're really just talking more about relaxation. So have you ever thought about, you know, okay, so, so obviously all the, 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 the truth behind yoga, not helpful, right? Some Eastern martial ancestor worship, not helpful. But what do we do with some of the valuable things that people have learned? There's the stretches, if you do yoga stretches, are just movements of the body that God's given us and, and, and that can be valuable. What do you do with the fact that you know deep breathing can actually be a very useful way for you to calm yourself down? Or something like a body scan where you, you go through and you just are aware of all the different parts of your body. Are these things necessarily wrong because they are used by the Eastern arts? And what I would say is what well, depends what you're trying to do with them, right? If you are trying to manufacture an experience, if you're using them as a way to build a ladder up to God, absolutely, that's, that's a problem. But if, if we are using them as a way as creatures that God has just given us a body to, to use and to steward, then these are okay and, in fact, might be even useful, perhaps even during a time of prayer. You think about fasting that's commanded. That is a way of slowing yourself down through your body. Can it be legalistic? Absolutely. But it's also something that's commanded by the Lord. Think about breathing. Now, I will be careful here. If someone says, you know, here's, here's a five wonderful breathing techniques to help you with your intimacy before the Lord. Run, right? But is there a time where you can just, if you are, if you are agitated... you're purposely slowing yourself and even humbling yourself before the Lord. There is a way that that can be valuable. Ed Clowney, in his book, he's commenting about this, says, yeah, there's, there's, some, you know, there's some value, medical value to this meditation and yoga, but nothing that you can't get just from learning how to relax. And he says, and by the way, we as Christians should not be surprised at the complexity of the human consciousness, or I would even say the human body. And the Lord allows and commands a full person worship when we come and give Him everything. Which means, as we come in stillness and silence, we don't manipulate the situation with our bodies, but we're aware of them and we're even willing to be relaxed And as we come before Him. And that's what we're going to be doing now as we come to the Lord's Supper. It's a whole body experience. It's a whole person experience. As the Lord feeds us physically, but we're still. And we're silent. And we remember the truths. And we meditate on what it means that he gave himself for us in this gospel. And so as we prepare for the supper, I want you to ask there, is there one place where I am just noisy in my life and, and, and I'm uptight and I'm in control? Please, in 
way to fellowship and serve, fellowship with the Lord and serve Him? Is, is there an area flab that I need to trim by focusing, looking on Jesus and developing better habits, creating spaces so that I can better enjoy my Lord? May He give us experience more vividly in this modern age to become better followers of Him. Please pray with me. Thank you for the Sabbath. It is a day that we think about it, we can set apart to be free of distractions, not just technology, but but of anything that would draw us from you, that we can use it as, as a day where we can slow down before you. We can unwind and calm down and rest. We become people that are silent and quiet before you. Father, we thank you for the supper that you are about to give us through your Son. We thank you for your gospel without which none of this would matter. Thank you that you've also made us stewards. And so would you transform us as people and help us to be disciples that are even concerned about the way that the culture and the, the technological mandate that you've given us shapes our lives and that it would be our servants as we are servants of Jesus. So we pray this in his name. Amen. This time, we'll sing a song.